previously on Dream Realm. There's a bunch of hackers on Dream Realm. They're doing what I'm doing, raping, assaulting people. They've created mods which they can do sexual fantasies with. Some of it's pretty nasty. The hackers behind it, they call the system the Dark Dream Realm, or the Dark Realm. Well, we, we are just appetizers for the clients of Gate. The real entrees come after the clients receive the codes. But I want to go back to an earlier point. If you two were the ones who broke into my colleague's apartment, well, that makes you dangerous. Maybe hack into the Dream Realm data. If these guys can do it, so can we, Elias whispered. There has to be some sort of trace system, so maybe we can see where people who visit the gate go next, you know? Flashes of excitement crossed her mind while she created the mods. They began forming on the couch seated and looked neutrally happy at best. Magenta finished, sweat coming down her back as she looked at the two new girls she had created for Gate and the four new children designed for other clients. I am your boss, your mother, your everything. You're listening to an episode 12 to the audiobook slash podcast project, Dream Realm. Voiced, written, and produced by me, Matt Rebar. Part 5. Chapter 1. The alarm woke her up for work, although she had been working for most of the night. Following Jordan and Elias' second attempt to enter gate, both had called it a night even though there was so much for them to do. Jordan did not try and find her pseudo-interest Isaac Cora either, who she had not seen since last Sunday after another argument stemming from her lack of true grit, which would motivate her to meet him in person. Since then, she had gone without trying to see him, nor did she want to think about him. On her way to the Cardonia Justice Center, Jordan called up Elias to talk further about what they were going to do. I'm going to talk to our IT department and see if there's a way for them to trace movements from Gate. I want to see if there's a heavy correlation with any other locations, Elias explained. That's so smart. If Gate truly is the beginning of one's dark realm, then maybe there's at least another location or two where people are going from Gate. Jordan agreed. How long do you think it'll take for them to find out the trace data results? I'm hoping to get them done today, but that depends. I don't imagine it would take long for them to find out the details of the traces. What do you think ended up happening to Janice? She was a mod. She probably got deleted or remade. Shit, she knew so much. I've never seen a mod go against her creator. Whoever made her, I'm assuming that magenta lady, clearly didn't expect Janice to talk about the business in the way she did. Well, if the mod was created to be an innocent girl, then she's probably programmed with a conscious. Shame, because while she was just a mod, she believed herself and saw herself as a real woman, and the emotions that Janice felt no doubt were real too. Magenta wants them to be subservient, but also innocent. And sometimes innocence makes us gullible, which counteracts the subservience sometimes. No doubt she's going to want to perfect her mod creationism going forward. Do you think they're hacking the system to where the mods spend 24-7 in the realm? So, for instance, their creators don't have to be on the realm for these mods to be active? I don't see why not, Elias responded. Especially with that type of business, they'd want girls and boys to be available at all times. I can't help but wonder about the part of it, that she was a stripper and a prostitute for all of her life. Their phone call ended and Jordan arrived soon in the parking lot underneath the federal buildings. She parked her car again after saying hello to Devante. She entered the justice center from the subterranean floor, took the elevator to the 10th floor to say hello again to the secretary, Teresa Jones Maynor. It all seemed pretty much normal. How are you doing today, darling? Teresa asked with a beaming smile. I'm well, Jordan feigned a large smile. And yourself? Just began sipping my cup of coffee, 
Teresa said, holding her coffee cup with two hands and a very elderly woman mannerism. Nothing for you has yet to arrive in my presence so far, but it's only eight in the morning. I'm sure plenty of people will be arriving today. Seconds later, Jordan bumped into January Fisher, who looked ravishing in purple today. Jordan, you look a little stressed. Do you need a massage? <laughs> if only I had the time. Jordan shrugged with a coy smile. Perhaps another time. Well, if it's that easy, I'll know to ask right off the bat next time. Jordan laughed as she walked down the hallway. Jordan went to her office, eyed her schedule once more from her phone, and began doing some work before her scheduled court case appearances today. It didn't take too long for her to get a phone call, which came from Judge Lynn Rexstrom's office line. Hey, do you have lunch plans? Lynn asked. No, I don't. Want to grab lunch on your break? Yes, please. The two quickly hung up and got back to work, and Sue Jordan was skipping from court to court. She was involved in some heavy felonies and misdemeanors, some just on the beginning stages of their day in court, while others at the end of trial, with jail sentences and other light alternatives playing out for the defendants. But soon, lunch arrived, and for the first time in two days, the girls were face to face. The last time they had talked, Lynn was still a bit upset about Jordan's attitude towards the forced blind date George. Jordan had gone off a bit, but the tiff had been for the better, it seemed. So, how goes your investigation with Elias in the dream realm? Lynn asked. Glaston was talking to one of those judges about all the ridiculousness of it all. Glaston is a seer, not a believer, Jordan immediately stated. I respect his knowledge and experience in the courtroom, but I don't acknowledge his ability to dismiss a case in the situation which Elias and I have come across. Why do you think he's so against it? Because it's not real for him. It exists in the dream realm, but partially there's no legality or illegality in the dream realm. It's all fiction. He barely believed the stories of women being raped in the dream realm anyway. That's where I do sympathize with him. It's hard to do anything because it's not illegal. But it should be illegal. I agree. But Jordan had started on a rant. It's different if I have a dream about getting raped. It didn't happen in real life. It was just my dream. It was my worries, and while it's dark, it never happened. But the dream realm, it's not a place of pure imagination and dreams. There are some things which are not allowed to happen in the dream realm because we find them despicable. The reason rape and the abuse of children is forbidden in the dream realm is because it's the type of wrong that cannot be replaced. You know, murder on the dream realm is different. You wake up and you kind of go on with your day. One might advocate that they should abolish that, but rape is a completely different story. There's trauma which cannot be replaced. There's no redo. There are faces which become ingrained in your mind. Not only are Elias and I going to expose the people behind the code, but we will go to the Dream Realm with this news and we expect them to put a stop to it. Furthermore, I want to get the paperwork in motion to illegalize rape within the Dream Realm on a criminal level. If someone does manage to rape someone in the Dream Realm, they should be charged in real life. I don't want to be promised with enough codes. That's not enough. Fantasy and reality are no longer two separate things. In today's technological age, they have become intertwined to levels nobody has truly grasped. There's no such thing as true fantasy on the Dream Realm. I agree with you, but how are you going to convince the right people that this is an issue that must be addressed? Once Elias and I blow this whole thing open, people aren't going to have a choice but to listen, Jordan promised, eyeing the small salad she had picked up in the cafeteria. Without continuing her rant, she decided that she better eat her lunch. Chapter 2 Elias DeAngelis left the IT department of the Cardonia police station and immediately walked down to the same federal employee garage which Jordan used. He had a few stops to make, involving two open cases and a personal stop as well. He figured he'd get the personal stop done first and have it out of the way so that he could focus on the rest of his day with work. Soon, he was driving his terrain vehicle outside of the federal parking garage and into the grand city of Cardonia. Cardonia was in many ways the epitome of the contemporary city. The buildings were sleek with shine of glass and metal, the occasional puncture of creativity among their fortitudes. 
There were city parks and other public designs, such as the large library filled with archaic text and modern technological advancements. Bars and restaurants squeezed themselves between office buildings and apartments. High-rises built overlooking the ocean, each going from anywhere from 1.5 grand to 6 grand a month. With a quick hook onto the highway, Elias began going north. From the raised highway, he could see the nearby Pacific, which calmly hit the shoreline, at least for today. The suburbs north of Cardonia were built in small communities which either rested upon or close to the beach, or within the tall forest woodlands which blanketed the northern Cardonia geography. It was the latter to which Elias was heading towards, the kind of area which was just like Elias' family's hometown, submerged in the forest and plant life. Up there, awaiting him, was his mother. She had no choice but to move following the death of Elias' older brother, Michael. Michael had been the only one loyal to remain in their hometown. Everyone else had left for different reasons. But Michael had been the son, to which her mother wished the rest of them could be. But sadly, being like Michael meant staying in the hometown and getting nowhere in life. And while Elias' two sister and younger brother weren't doing much with their lives, they'd rather be doing it in larger cities. With Michael's death, Joanne DeAngelis had no choice but to move, and so she moved to northern Cardonia. It was a reluctant move, but one that she ended up doing anyway, the kind of grudge a mother wouldn't easily forget. She did not pick Cardonia for any reason besides the fact that it was the closest to Charm, their original township. Even hearing the town's name, Charm, caused a rather vulgar gag to form in the back of Elias' throat. The town failed to live up to its name, instead resembling more of a clusterfuck of hillbilly trash. But his mother's new house in Cardonia was a small, quaint ranch covered in large shady trees which almost disguised the house within the thrush. Fortunately, Elias was completely aware of where his mother's house was, considering he was over there once or twice a week for the last year and a half. Elias parked the car in the driveway and walked up to the door, which was unlocked as usual. He entered the house, which was filled with his parents' junk and objects, some of which should have been thrown away years ago, but had remained. His mother was holding on to memories of the past decades, and after losing her husband, Joanne DeAngelis had refused to throw out anything that reminded her of Jeremy. Mom, I'm here. Elias called out into the house, his voice sucked into the objects instead of echoing. A lone cat, one of his mother's pet projects, trailed by before vanishing underneath one of the bookshelves. Elias moved forward, walking into the kitchen. The kitchen was the one space which his mother refused to be bummed down with objects, minimal space with a small amount of real food. Elias moved to the back porch and stepped outside to find his mother reading a book within the hammock she had placed between two trees. Joanne was slipping through the pages and didn't even bother to look up as Elias crossed the lawn to stand beside her. Did you hear me come in? Elias questioned. I heard the car. Figured it was you. You shouldn't really keep your doors unlocked. We could do that back in charm. So if it becomes a problem here, then what does that say about Cardonia? This was the incessant attitude to which Elias had grown accustomed to over the last two decades. As a young child, you don't think much about the words. But then you grow. The tone begins to blossom and means more than it ever did previously. There was pessimism within his mother and the deaths of her husband and her favorite son, along with this move, had cemented layers of it to her core. She was no longer the Joanne of her youth. Now she was a completely different woman who was in front of Elias. What are you reading? The Western Expansion. Isn't that a fictional book about the manifestation of Western influence sort of thing? Something like that. A brief period of silence occurred while Joanne continued reading her book. She seemed disinterested in her son's visit and showed no interest in anything to do with him. Joanne had her good days and her bad days, although on her good days, she'd stare into his eyes while snarling her choice words. Do you need anything? Any chores you need help with? I'm independent. I don't need your help. I didn't say you weren't independent. I was just... I know what you were doing. Well, I'm sorry if you feel that way. More silence. 
He wasn't sure why he had even come, considering that this was the attitude he faced most of the time. It was a ritual at this point, something he did every week. It was a way to prove his loyalty to his mother, even though she did not seem to want it. He stood in awkward silence for another two minutes before he pulled out his phone to answer some emails. Finally, there did not seem to be a purpose to continue the charade. I gotta head out to a murder scene. I'll stop by later in the week. Okay. Joanne shrugged without any care. She continued flipping her paperback edition of the Western Expansion without a care in the world. Elias turned from the yard and walked through the house. Once more, a cat flickered out from the bookshelves, and in that bleak moment, Elias realized his mother's cats had given more of a shit about him than his own mother. Chapter 3 Magenta was rather nervous to speak with King following last night's incident. Word had gotten out about the entire debacle, and even some of the customers of the Dark Realm, more so clients than customers, Magenta supposed, had complained about what some believed to be a prank or some kind of form of entertainment. Others were confused by who was storming Gate, which questioned the security of the establishment and the security of Dark Realm. King led the group. That was evident. The other four who were part of the Hand, so to speak, all had different functions. Magenta was in charge of the girls and boys while she handled the finances and managed Gate. It was a lot for one woman to do, but the other three boys couldn't do what she did. In fact, without Magenta, the Dark Realm's ability to exist would be in question. Mazapan, Lights, and Toe were replaceable. Hackers, entrepreneurs, and middlemen could be found anywhere. But a woman, a strong and smart woman, who had worked for this organization, that was tough to find. Magenta had been a hacker for a while, a rather low-grade hacker who had originally applied to work for the Dark Realm as a part-timer. Her job in real life had been as a member of the IT department for a Fortune 500 company. It was a comfortable gig, but a rather stupid one. Instead of doing anything major, her age and gender meant that she was the one fixing projectors for presentations and wiping computer technology clean while the boys got to create websites and create codes, security vessels. However, instead of meeting with Marzipan, she met with King within his office. The two had sat down and King immediately interviewed her with the standard questions of a normal job before explaining what he believed she would be excellent for. We need someone to create the mods, someone to help and guide the mods as well as someone to manage one of our spaces. I think you'd be perfect for it. The money from the gig was excellent, too excellent to ignore considering she was dreaming all of it together. Most would argue why or how she could overlook the rape and abuse of women, but considering that they were all her mods, Magenta didn't mind what was happening. In her mind, it was better for her mods to be abused in the dream realm than just for any person to get hurt whatsoever. But her motive didn't matter anyway. None of this was real. It was all just dreams and mirrors, smoke and business. Whatever people might consider wrong held no value considering the space they occupied was nothing more than a dream. Although, there were moments that felt real, such as the upcoming meeting with King. Magenta's body was covered in a thin layer of nervous sweat and she hadn't even dreamed that to life. Magenta arrived at the office door and knocked, only to hear the thin British voice of King allowing her access. She stepped inside, her feet barely leaving the surface of the floor. Her natural, Chicago-style attitude had been heavily dampened, leaving her with the personality of a cardboard box. So tell me about yesterday, King asked, his voice curious and with mid-emotion. There was no happiness in his demeanor, clearly, but there was neither anger or wrath. Magenta told the whole story, the arrival of two intruders, Genesis' involvement, Magenta's interrogation of the two intruders, her theory that they were the ones who had entered Marzipan's apartment-slash-office in Townshill. Then there was the subsequent fight, their, quote, death, and her follow-up and dismantlement with Jenis. I'm confused on one part. I don't think you're being dishonest. I just don't understand how your mod would go against you. King questioned. Why would Jenis try and cover for these intruders? Why would she go against you? 
I've been wondering that myself. Magenta nodded. I designed the mod so that they're relatively weak and easy to bend and mold, but she was rather tough. I wonder if some of Marzipan's coding had some secret effects that we're now just finding out about. Marzipan had hacked Magenta's account so that her mods could be active 24-7 on the Dream Realm, even without Magenta being active. Normally, Dream Realm's mods could only be utilized when the mod's creator was active. In a normal situation, Genis would only exist in the Dream Realm when Magenta was active. But with Marzipan's hack, Magenta could be awake and active in the normal world, while her mods continued to work on behalf of the Dark Realm for the variety of clients who were on the other side of the world. That's a possibility. Perhaps making them active without your support has made them independent of sorts? King shrugged. Magenta had another theory, but the theory fell on her shoulders. She wondered if her mix of innocence, subservience, and the desire of helping the other had turned against her. Janice, designed to help others and be background material, had confessed information because she'd been asked to. But admitting that idea looked bad on her part. At least blaming the code was partially off of her shoulders. Overall, I am upset that this happened, but I suppose you handled this well, considering. Thank you, Magenta whispered. I, I, I did what was necessary. The two intruders. Tell me about them. One was a woman, one was a man. Both appeared young in their late 20s, early 30s at most. They seemed to know about our operation, but their knowledge was dotted by missing information. I'm not sure what their ploy is. They tried covering up with some terrible social research lie. The door to King's office opened and revealed the blonde, thin frame of Marzipan. His normally calm and introverted appearance was marred with worry and pain. Marzipan, you'd be good for this part of my conversation with Magenta. King smiled, looking happier than he had earlier in the conversation. Two things. Can you look into the hack on Magenta's mods? It appears the mods might be acting up, getting a little too independent per se. And second, can you tell us about the intruders that broke into your house? Marzipan closed his eyes and a second later produced a large picture of the two intruders within his hand. Magenta looked at the photo and nodded. These are the two that broke into gate, Magenta confirmed, looking between King and Marzipan. How did they find out about us? No doubt they found out about gate while searching your apartment. I don't know, Marzipan whispered. I have no idea how they know about me or the Dark Realm. Either we have some vigilantes or some curious kitties, King shrugged. Marzipan, pass that photo off to Toe and Lights. Make sure they're aware of the intruders. At this point, we have to wait and see if they come back around. Marzipan, is there anything we can do to hack into their identities? Not at the moment, but I, I hope to do so in the future. Marzipan was still acting skittish. I can't help but feel a little nervous. Don't be. These two aren't a threat. King chuckled. Actually, I might call Toe and see what kind of technology he can produce for us. Chapter 4 Jordan was leaving her office when she finally managed to call Elias, who had texted her earlier asking for Jordan to call him when she had the chance. With said chance available and with a quick wave goodbye to Secretary Teresa, Jordan loaded herself to the elevator while Elias answered the line. I asked IT to break into the Dream Realm system and trace movements from Gate, Elias muttered. But you didn't hear that because it's not exactly work-related and I don't want the Chief to know we're spending resources on this. He might be worried about the public's privacy. As long as we're not mining data or getting people's information exactly, that's all good, Jordan explained. So they're just looking at traffic patterns, like where people are going from gate and all of that. Exactly, and they found a correlation that the same traffic visiting gate is also visiting some kind of building within the Notoria Mountains. Some kind of building? 
Yeah, it looks like Marzipan knows what he's doing. He made it impossible to truly detect where that building is. All we have is a five-mile radius on the one side of the Notoria Mountains. It's far away from the towns, the cities, the slopes, the entertainment, the hikers. The building's probably easily spottable, but we just have to get to that area of the mountains. So we're doing that tonight? Yeah, I have a couple more things to do, and then I'll head home and prepare for sleep. Investigating this dark realm has given me the most sleep I've had in ages, Jordan chuckled as she walked to the parking lot and to her car. Even though I can't sleep of my own accord and I have to use sleeping pills to calm myself down, I feel the same way. I visited my mother today. Usually I spend the rest of the day upset and awake, but I don't have time to toss and turn in my bed tonight. Are you okay? Jordan asked. She knew briefly Elias' issue was with his mother, but she never had met Joanne DeAngelis to know the full detail. I'm alright. Sometimes I can get over it quickly, but today was pretty rough. She didn't even look at me. She just kept reading her book. How long did you stay? I don't even think she finished a single page of the book. Damn. She's ungrateful. You should just stop visiting. She won't care and it'll ease you up a bit. I wish it was that easy to tear myself away from the situation. Elias shrugged. You have a tepid relationship with your parents, right? I was never close with my parents the way some people brag about, but it could have been worse. We share that unconditional love. It's just that we don't really share much else. See, I don't even know if I have that. I'm sure you do. You're just overanalyzing. You haven't met my mother. Elias smiled over the phone, leaning back in his office chair. Have you and Rickstrom stopped fighting? <sighs> we were never fighting. We just had a little bit of a misunderstanding. Whatever you want to call it. Did you fix it? Things are back on track. I should just have been a little bit more honest with her from the start of all this matchmaking and love talk. You know she's a romantic. I'm not as much. She wants what's best for you. Sometimes she makes the wrong choices, but never out of malice. Trust me, some of the guys I'm sure she's contemplated setting me up with would definitely fall under the wrong choices category. Jordan chuckled. So see you around 9.30pm? I'd say so. The phone call ended, and not much happened until both of them were in the dream realm. They originally met at Oolong for Memories and had a brief conversation with Cherise Bethine, the leader of the New Leaves, a group of women and men who had been raped and assaulted in the dream realm. They told Cherise about Gate, and then where they were heading to next, a location within the Notoria Mountains. I, I had an idea that these people were working together, but this, this is crazy, Cherise whispered. They're a full-blown organization, aren't they? They have so many members, all those poor girls, mods, human. Nobody deserves to be in that position. We aren't sure what is or what is not consensual, and we're not sure who or who is not a mod, Jordan explained. But you're right. Even to be raping mods is too dark and should be illegal in the dream realm. It's just, it is really fucked up. What do you think you're going to find in the location within the Notoria Mountains? A brothel? It could be anything, Elias responded. We're going to scope out the scene as much as we can. Be safe, Cherise sighed. Her last words of advice as both Jordan and Elias there and vanished, reappearing within the mile radius of the Notoria Mountains. It was instantly colder, not too cold, where they were freezing, although the mid-temperature of Urbana was done away with and replaced with the lower 40s. But in the real world, a snowy mountain range would probably be much colder, but in the dream realm, well, anything was possible. The Notoria mountain range was large, filled with miniature cities and townships within the valleys and spines of the center. Ski resorts and winter sports resorts and spas built up away from the traffic, while as far as the eye could see, dark mountains covered in pine and snow filled the landscape. It was perpetually nighttime for some reason here. The sky a purple navy and occasionally covered in aurora borealis-type lights, which dotted the sky like its own pyrotechnic show. But in the location where Elias and Jordan were inspecting, the location pinpointed by IT as a high-traffic area for those who visited the gate, was not in the middle of the city or a resort. It was deep within the mountains, far away from most people. Instead, Elias and Jordan were walking downwards on a mountain slope, kicking their way through snow and zigzagging through pine trees. 
You know what's funny? Elias muttered as they continued walking, the only sound the shuffling of snow below and the occasional animal cry. We both went to LA to work, we both left, and then came to Cardonia. There's a lot of people who flee from LA, Jordan chuckled. We have three other prosecutors who worked in L.A. before coming to Cardonia. It appears we're a nesting ground for retired L.A. government employees. Why did you go to L.A.? Why did you leave? Elias asked, his question rather bold in the moment. After four years, it just got to be too much. Obviously, I had Lynn up here who was begging for me to come to Cardonia. It appeared less stressful. But now, I don't know. Part of me wonders, maybe, maybe I should have stayed. I only moved up north because of my mother, Elias sighed. I was probably on track to do really well in the LAPD, but with my brother's death, I felt like the best way to appease my mother was, you know, to be closer to her. I wanted to be closer to her, even if it was just an hour away or something, but then my brother died, and that felt like the prophecy came true. If you could have, would you have stayed in LA? Jordan asked. Yes, Elias nodded. I liked it there. I enjoyed the heavy challenges. This case is probably the first challenge I've had in months. Cardonia is rather easy. Not much is happening here. See, I was always destined to leave. I like the challenges, and but it's different for prosecutors. Police officers and detectives roam the streets, find the bad guys, feel good about capturing these guys, but you never have to deal with the stress of missing evidence. Witnesses unable to stand by their statements. A lot of guilty men left the L.A. courtrooms with smiles on their faces. And you watch that, and it doesn't take you too long to overcompensate. You start going from 70 hours of work a week to 80, hoping it leads to just one more conviction. But all that time spent on your cases, you just lose out in other ways. I loved my life in Cardonia, even with my stalling relationship with Hiram. We went to bars, took some boat rides, some beach trips. We did things with our lives beyond our jobs, and it was great. But in L.A., I, I can't even remember the things I did. I barely lived life like a tourist there. It was a challenge for me in other ways because, well, besides the career. And I don't regret leaving. Maybe I was cut out for some of the good stuff, just like yourself, but I think most of it was a wash anyway. Jordan stopped talking for a second as they both moved forward. You never really wanted to escape L.A., Jordan corrected. You didn't leave L.A. per se. You just came here for your mother. For a woman who doesn't really care that you're here for her. You could stop seeing her and move to L.A. and she probably wouldn't say anything. If I have a weakness, it's loyalty. Elias admitted. It's being unable to be selfish, to admit I never wanted to leave the LAPD and the only reason I did was because I thought I was going to be a good son. I thought, this will prove I love my mother, as I packed my goddamn bags in my house in LA. I didn't make that decision for myself, and I should have. I owed that to myself. I owed it to myself to continue doing what I wanted. You can always move back. (laughs) A washed-up 34-year-old detective. Too much young blood shifts in LA. (laughs) Please, they make room for you any day of the week. I'm happy here, don't get me wrong. But you're not fully happy, though. You're just content, and you know that contentment is not happiness. I know that. Say it for yourself, then. More silence as the two dredged forward down the slope. I don't need to say it, I know. Say it. Look, Jordan. Elias whispered, pointing southwest, and Jordan turned to that direction, forgetting about her earlier statements. Both of them could see the man-made light coming from the southeast. It was, at best, two or three miles away, although in the landscape like this, the light was heavily visible, especially through the open thickets of pines, which weren't clustered enough for complete darkness. That must be it, Elias whispered, moving forward towards the building. Thank you so much for listening. For more podcasts and work done by me, Matt Rebar, check out my website at www.mattrebar.weebly.com. Tweet or Instagram me at Rebstar, H-R-I-B-S-T-A-R. And if you missed it, all 10 episodes of season one, Unconscious, Subconscious, are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and more. 
Until next time.